Welcome to State of Mind Talks, the new podcast series from State of Mind Sport. This is a series exploring transition and the complex emotional and mental backdrop to confronting and going through major change. I'm George Riley, and each episode I'll be chatting to a familiar name from the world of sport. And this week's guest has quite a story, really. A professional sportsman who gave up 10 years at the very top of the game in British rugby to work with bomb disposal experts in ISIS strongholds in Iraq. Quite a career change. Um, Matty Blythe, great to see you. How are you? Hi, mate. Yeah, not too bad, you? I'm well, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this chat. Yeah, yeah. Your, yours is quite a story. You, uh, your path has been a fascinating one. You're still quite young. Um, ish. <laughs> ish. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the emotional and psychological route uh, I'm most keen to trace along the way with you. As transitions go, it's a complete fork in the road, complete turn. Um, what were you like as a kid? Let's start from the start. I feel like I've never grown up. I know I've got responsibilities, this and the other, but I feel my character was very vibrant, very extrovert kind of person. You know, I was always friendly to everybody. Um, and, you know, even still now, uh, I'm exactly the same. You know, they give me the time of day, I give them the time of day as well. Um, I think, yeah, growing up, you know, I was always a happy kid. Uh, I had a really good childhood. Um, yeah, that's basically it. And I'm literally, I don't think I've changed that much from being that kid until obviously being a professional. Um, I think it's gone, it's, it's made me get where I am today. I think a lot of a lot of characteristics that I've, that I've built uh, and, and a lot of things that obviously I've had to build as well, perseverance and sacrifice within rugby and, and this job as well. Um, you know, even even as a kid, we were training at six o'clock in the morning before school, and and then after, and then I've tried to to continue that because it it was a it was a formula that worked, and it got me obviously to be a professional rugby league player. Um, I knew as a kid that I was I was a, an athlete, but I was never really um, I was a good player, but I was never the most skillful player kind of thing. So as a kid, I, I knew I had to. So basically work, do that six o'clock in the morning, go to school or work and then do it at night as well to work on myself, to work on the attributes that I needed to work on and fitness and that as well. And it, and it paid off. It did pay off. I think obviously the attention to detail that I knew that I needed early on as a kid, to be fair, really, really early on. Um, because the, the age group that we had was, was really, really good. Um, really, really good. And obviously I was skill wise. I wasn't there, but determination and sacrifice that I tried to do as a kid and then try to uh, to bring it into even to this profession as well mate has, has been um, has, has helped so far definitely. You mentioned three things there perseverance, sacrifice, determination. How do you learn those things and certainly as a kid how do you know those things are important? Yeah I think it's that determination towards a goal. I think it's if you've got that goal in sight and you can see like it's you know it's, you can see people li like living your dream. So we I went to Beaumont High School and Warrington Wolves used to train there. And you just seen them coming in every day they were playing rugby outside they looked like they were having fun this that and the other and I wanted to always be a part of that and that was where I wanted to do so I knew I had to sacrifice you know a little bit of childhood maybe um, I still had a very, very good childhood. I went out with friends this time and the other, but I still thought I think I had to sacrifice a little bit of growing up towards uh, playing rugby. Um, and obviously I worked, I went to college and things like that as well. So it was, I think it was just that sacrifice towards that goal. If you can feel like, if you want to reach that goal, I think it's something that it builds on you the sacrifice. So once you start doing that and you can feel that, you know, you can see your body changing you know, or you can see your mindset changing, it makes it everything, you know, you're going in the right direction forward. And I think that's how I've actually, as a kid, was trying to, to, to go towards. Each step at a time was getting me closer to that goal. That's and sometimes you have a back, backward step, but then it's that transition going forward as well. That's a really positive attitude for... You're talking about a young kid here. Now, most youngsters, I'm talking as a guy who wanted to be a pro footballer and, and yeah. fair, I, I wasn't really aware of the importance of those things. You, most kids will have to be told those things. Yeah. Guided, yeah. right? This is what you need to sacrifice. This is the hard yeah. work you've got to fit in. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, you found that within yourself, right? I think because it worked. I think I was lucky enough to go, right, I wasn't a, a good, I wasn't a, you know, I was an okay rugby league player as a kid. Um, 
But I, I was seeing the guys that I even I was playing with and and I wanted to be there 100%. I wanted to be at the, you know, I had a very, not a pushy family, but again, someone that was just saying, right, we need to do this, this and this. But I, I know what I needed to do to make it to, to, to be, you know, a professional. I knew what I needed to do. And it, mentally it was tough because obviously with um, sacrifice becomes, you know, you're going to get knocked along the way, um, regardless of that, because you could sacrifice, you know, a lot of things in your life. And someone's just always going to say to you, you're not good enough or you're not that, you know what I mean? And then that's, again, that's a big backward step. Um and that was like that when I was when when I went to professional, it was like that. It was like, well, you're not big enough, you're not good enough, kind of thing. And it was for me to prove them wrong, a hundred percent. It was for me to, and I think a lot of people actually go through this as well before the, you know, before they actually become a professional or at least a a squad player or anything like that or an international or anything like that. They still, um, they still have that moment where where the people just said, yeah, you're good, but you you know you need to be better, and. I took that as right as a challenge, basically. I took that as a challenge to see if I could get to that, to to the first team, get to be playing week in, week out, get to, um, you know, working hard within a team, and 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 still, when I got to that team, not giving up or not thinking that it was just be, it was just by chance, it was just something that, and it is to be honest with you, there is a lot of luck involved. I think within the, within professional sportsmen, hundred percent. I think a luck. And being there at the right time or injuries or things like that is a massive part of it. But then it's grabbing it with both hands and then seeing where you can go from there, mate. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've always said the similar thing about the, you know, the line of work that I've ended up in. It's there's a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance, a lot of knocks to get in something like broadcasting, which everyone wants to do because it looks so fun. Yeah. And, uh, but there is a lot of luck. I, yeah. Definitely. Everyone will get a chance if you've got your eyes open. You've just got to be looking in the right yeah. place to see it and then grasp it. Because if you're yeah. looking the other way, it won't come again, you know. Definitely. I think it was, um, I, I think we played Magic Weekend in uh, at Cardiff. Was it Cardiff or was it in Scotland? I can't remember. It was one of them. It was literally the first game of the year. And we had like Matt King, you know, Bridget, Atkins, these kind of players that were playing. And, and they were, you know, they were ridiculously better than I was massively. We were a club for... Warrington were I like the Man City, I think, of of um of rugby league. Money bags. Money bags, yeah, yeah, pretty much. So we can afford these players, you know what I mean? We can we can entice these players to come in. And for a kid growing up, you're like, oh God's sake. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then not luckily or anything like that, but that is that look. We had about four or five injuries that game, day one, um, of, of the Super League starting. And I remember Michael Monahan coming up to me, mate, get ready for next week because you're playing. And then that even that just gives me butterflies now to say, yeah. right, I need to get ready. And from I think I played like 10 or 11 games, 12, I think it might have been longer. Like straight, I think I got in team of the month that that that, that year, uh, that month. And I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it was it was something that, that that's the look part of what we're looking for. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that sometimes you might not get the the right bounce of the ball. You might not get, you know, the 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 right um run the right line this that and the other it's, it's seconds and it's it is you know it's inches away from actually becoming a, a good debut or something towards you know a, a mediocre one and then you know you, you you're that you're back to square one again so yeah. I think I was lucky in the in the fact that obviously we had quite a lot of injuries during that game but again taking it with both hands and then making sure that you're giving the I, giving the boss headaches that was a good thing as well mate definitely I was struck by something Anthony Malali said in his episode. Um, and it, it's kind of that transition into being a professional, something that, you know, you've outlined how much it meant to you and how much you wanted to achieve it. And then suddenly you, you have it. You're in the team. You're, you are this professional sportsman and life yeah. and, and lifestyle is yeah. certainly a bit different. Um, Anthony said he went wrong at Leeds when he went there because he signed for the wrong reasons. He signed for the spotlight, yeah. not the success. He wanted to be that guy out in Leeds. He wants to be the yeah. guy being recognised. Yeah. The guy, oh, that's the guy who plays rugby for the Rhinos. He, he yeah. wants to be the guy getting the girls, as, as, as he, he, yeah, yeah, he put it. Um, how, how was that transition for you? And what was, your, what was your driving force in terms of what you wanted to achieve? How did you make sure your head was right? Mull's right. He's 100% right. Like, I've been... Warrington is, is probably a similar place to what Leeds is. Like... Uh, obviously, being a Warrington lad, anyway, my my passion was to to play for my hometown team, regardless if they were in the championship or whatever. It doesn't matter. 
Um, but Warrington is like that. It's a very, very rugby mad kind of town. Um, people do notice you on a night out. Um, again, girls, women, this, that, and the other can be um, an extra of, of why you want to be a professional. But it was to mingle around with the people that I, you know, grew up watching and, and things like that. And uh, don't get me wrong, when we did go out, it was nice. It was fun. Um, you know, as a kid as well, as, a, as an 18, 90-year-old kid, when people are recognising you, asking you for pictures, it's a good thing. It is a very, very good thing. But it, in that other sense, it's like you can't sneeze in Warrington without anybody knowing. So it's that kind of like like entrapment kind of thing where it's a bit of it's it's false. When you retire, you you believe that it's a false statement. Um, you know, people. I, I love talking to people. I will talk to anybody for an hour, two hours if they if that's what they want. I that I think that's what people in my like the the, the, the Lee Brazes of my of my career, the Benny Westwoods would literally speak to anyone and give anybody the time of day. And that's what Brazy taught me that, to be fair. Very, very much so. Uh, even on a night out, if you're having a beer with the lads and stuff like that, make time for people. Um, so I learned a lot by, obviously, the, the guys that were going there. But the force of going out and things like that wasn't a massive thing for me. Uh, it was nice. Um, but I wanted to go there because it was good for me. It was good for my family. Um, you know, a Warrington kid going into uh, playing for Warrington was, you know, something that I always wanted to do um, since a kid. So that was my motivation going forward. Um, and just being a part of the group, mate, being a yeah. part of the lads. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a couple of times I've heard that from players about, you know, the drive to yeah. to achieving career. And they've mentioned um, the, lure, the lure of celebrity. And it's, it's yeah. something that I can, I've never really got my head yeah. around how that would be a driving force to be a professional yeah. sportsman, where you look at it and you think, surely a driving force is to be the sportsman. The professional, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you want to? I want to win that. I want to achieve that. These are my yeah. personal ambitions on the pitch. I want to do that. Yeah. Do that. I never even crossed my mind that some people no. would kind of want to get into that profession to be, yeah. to be known, to be famous. No. Well, I went. I remember going to Wilderspool as a kid with my dad um, for a few years, and they had like the it was called the Touchdown Club, um, and at the side, the other end of it was like a, a big barrier where you couldn't go. And when that opened, all the players were in there. Um, and then literally just seeing everyone go, oh, he's there, he's there, he's there, he's there. And that was something I was just like, everybody knows. I know they, we've just seen them play, um, but everybody knows these people. Uh, obviously, the, the the fans come to see these people and now they're going to interact with them and have pictures. And you're just seeing people just like buzz off it. And that was me as a kid, to be fair. It was just like literally um, autograph book, everything with, you know, Mark Foster, you know, uh, even uh, Benny Westwood, people like that. Don't think he's that old, actually. I don't know. He might. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Alfie Langer, these kind of players that you just looked up, you just see him play and, and give him everything to actually stand next to him was, um, as a fan, was amazing. Mm. And I think that's probably what, you know, especially the younger generation, it's like, I've just seen you play for 80 minutes. You were good or you were bad or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But now they're standing next to you and then they're like, that's amazing. And it makes their day kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I thought as, as a kid, because I wasn't massive into rugby as a kid at all. Um, I started about 12-ish when I was, yeah, when I was 12. So just when I went to high school. Um, but even seeing them as a as sportsman was, was was pretty special, mate, definitely. It was something that from probably year seven, year, late year six, year seven was something was like, right, I want to be in that. I want to be in that, you know, that touchdown club. Obviously not now because it's housing estate. Yeah, the snooker club. He said that was my first ever gym, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so you spent, yeah. you spent five years at, at, at Warrington, then you went to Bradford and you were back at Warrington in, in, in 2017, you know, at the risk of fast forwarding through your career. That's yeah, yeah. the pattern it, yeah. it went. Um, and that would end up being your final year. You're only 28, I think. I was 28 at the time. Really at, at the time. Yeah. Now let's talk about that last season as a pro, um, yeah. how it unfolded. How happy were you at the time? And at, at what point did you start thinking that, you might be needing something different in your life. Yeah, um, it was probably about a year before that. Uh, I was at Bradford for the last year. Uh, I wasn't enjoying my rugby. And that's massive for me to say that because I always play with a smile on my face. I run my blood to water. That was kind of the thing that I like to do for the team. I just didn't feel that anymore. Um, I did, I did my shoulder in one of the games and a shoulder reconstruction just before I went to Warrington. And 
And even at Warrington, like I love Warrington to bits, and I was just going to go to Australia as do a feeder team over there or something like that. I, I was speaking to a club over there. He said, "Yeah, more than happy to have you over." And then Warrington, Richie Mappers actually rang me uh, on my way to Bradford and said, "Will you meet with Tony?" I said, "Yeah, hundred percent. That's fine." So I met with Tony and uh, yeah, just Tony, I think. Yeah, I'm Fitzpatrick as well. So I met with the CEO. Um, and he said, we want to have you back, this, that, and the other. Um, and I said, yeah. And I think I said yes for the wrong reasons. And that, again, was just to be a part of Warrington, to be a part back in my hometown club. Uh, but I left for a reason as well, because I wasn't getting that much game time. And when I went back, it was exactly the same. Bear in mind, I do love Warrington. They give me another chance, this, that, and the other. But I went for the wrong reasons, as it was. It was my hometown club, if that makes sense. Mm. Um. They were amazing, always the club's amazing, but I just, at the time, I felt like uh, I was just a squad player. Even though the guy that I've just had, you know, he's just been in Bradford for four years, he's gone for administrations, he's gone for promotion and, um, well, uh, million pound games, this, that, and the other, and I've had a lot of experience. I felt I was just a part, a bit part player there. Um, and that's just my personal, this is this might not have been it at all, you know what I mean? I, I, and I'd struggled. I struggled a lot because I, I didn't I didn't like the gym anymore. I hated going to training. And that's not because of worrying. It's just the, the mindset that I was in at Bradford me last year. And I knew I needed something different. I knew I needed something different. And luckily and, and amazingly, um, Warrington gave me some educational money. Um, and then within seconds of, uh, you know, uh, signing that contract, I went on a close protection course. So um, th there was a massive reason why I went there. I'm glad... Now I've went there because looking back, I probably wouldn't have got the opportunities now that I've got. Um, but again, it was that sacrifice, that perseverance to um, to go into that environment again with my... I mean, Mike Cooper was, was coming back as well. He's, he's someone that I grew up with and he's my age. And, you know, we've gone through academies together, this, that and the other. Uh, a lot of my friends are still there that I speak to, you know, and it was amazing. It was amazing. But I just, even through all that, my game was just never the same at all. Um, I didn't enjoy playing. I hated playing. Um, putting the jersey on was always a proud moment for me, but I hated rugby league at that time. I love rugby league to, to watch and to, to review and, and to look at, but as part of playing it, I was I, I was way gone, way, way gone. Uh, and it's bad saying that, but this, I think everyone goes through that part of the career and it's, do they get past it or do they just go, right, I need something different? Because I miss... Biggest part of my attribute, my character is is just smiling, being happy, being persistent, being you know, being the person that everybody knows I am. Um, and I was like that, but it was completely false. I had to put a massive front on, um, and I didn't enjoy it. It was draining. It was massively mentally draining. Um, so I knew I needed something different in my life, definitely. Um, you know, yeah, and that's basically it, mate. It was just it was a hard transition from. Um, from going to Bradford to Warrington rather than it was from Warrington to close protection. Um, I think it's because I didn't want to be in, the, in this environment anymore. Why did, you, why did you feel, Matty, that you had to... I mean, you, you've, you've, in your final year, you, you've signed a professional... You've signed a contract yeah. with a professional sports I know. when I know. you know yeah. you can't do it anymore. And yeah. you know you hate it. You just said you hated your job. Yeah. And a lot of people will associate in, you know, in so-called normal jobs. Oh, yeah. I hate my job, but it, it, it paid the bills or whatever. Yeah. And how were you able to sign a contract? And why did you feel that you had to put up a front rather than telling people, you know what? Um, yeah. I absolutely hate everything. And yeah. it's making me. I think it's, um, again, I think what, what blokes go through is a lot of pride uh, that we try to go through. So, you know, it's a lot of things that we, we are rugby players, we are strong physically, but um, mentally, you know, mentally, I, I it's difficult. It can be difficult, like getting knocked back or getting this or not getting the right contract and, you know, getting making these sacrifices and everything and determination sometimes will not pay off. But then it keeps it going, it keeps it going, keeps it going. And I was just, I got to that point where, you know, we've, we've done a lot. I wanted to stay at Bradford at the time, um, but they just told me there was nothing there for you. So I was just like, right, okay, crack on. And that is sometimes what it is. It's sometimes like rejection. Rejection is not a nice thing, with, regardless if it's by a female or a professional or a job or something that you're not good at. Then it's just like, well, no, you're not good enough, mate. And it's just like, and even before that, I was just, 
getting to that point where it was just dead difficult to just just to just to be happy in the sport. Um, and even going to the, the gym is my favorite part of being, you know, I get to, to train and get paid for it. That's just the best thing in the world. And then play against uh, playing 10,000 um, capacity crowd, you know what I mean? And it's people will say, well, it's, oh, it's, it's fine, don't worry about it, you'll get through it. But it's some people just don't, and it is a difficult thing mentally to go through, definitely, like 100%. And I, I ended up did speaking to a, a few councils and things like that within State of Mind and really cares and things and just to try and get me back on track and, and I'm, why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. If you, so you kind of overlapped, you had, you had yeah. your, your transitional plan in place. Yeah. If you didn't have that in your final year, do you think you would have, you would have played on even though you'd mentally down tools as a yeah. sportsman and you hate I, I would have retired, mate. Yeah. I think, I, I think I would have retired. Um, for me, my, my, for me, my health is, is, is the biggest thing. Um, I hated not feeling the way that I, I always felt within rugby and in my personal life. Um, I would have retired. I, I, it would have been the it would have been pointless. I would have rather hurt myself or somebody else because I'm that agitated. It only takes one tackle. It only takes one something to you know for your head to just explode basically. <laughs> and it's just it's just something I wasn't enjoying myself. Um, and I'm glad, I'm obviously glad that I've obviously gone through this transitional period now because it's made me a mile stronger uh, as a player, uh, as a professional and a, as a person, mate, definitely. When you reflect on your career and, and the time that you've spent and devoted to the sport of, yeah. of, of rugby, of, of, of rugby league, um, what do you feel? Is there, is there pride? Is there satisfaction? Is there anger is the frustration is the resentment what what kind of emotions are there? I mean 100% pride I'm proud of where I've come from as a kid to where I was I'm, I'm I'm playing a second for the first team at Warrington was more than enough for me uh which was actually the case for my debut <laughs> it's fine um but no I'm proud of where I'm proud of the person that I was when I was when I was really good at playing rugby league and I'm proud of the person that's just gone, you know what? It's not the be all and end all, rugby league. You've got a life after rugby league. Like we're not, I don't even think, you know, I don't know, the, the you know, the, the 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 bigger, you know, the um more expensive kind of players, the, the marquee kind of players, they're not going to be able to retire after rugby league. And they get paid a lot of money. You know what I mean? And it's it's this transition you need to make sure that you've got things in place. Um, and I'm glad that I, I was proud and I've just come out probably a little bit later, but I'm glad I went to Warrington to some extent to, to then, um, you know, as a catalyst to, for my career going forward, mate. So, yeah, no, 100%. There's no, I'm, I'm very, very proud of where, um, of, of when, you know, the Primrose and Blue and playing for Bradford, you know, a massive club. Uh, they looked after me. They did really look after me. And, and then going back to Warrington, so I, I, on paper, I've had an amazing career. Um, but it's, it's sometimes you just get to that little bit of a crossroads where your head just goes, right, I'm not enjoying myself. Which way do I go? Do I carry on the way that I'm going or do I change something along my path? It might be a long journey, but it might be something worth when you get to your destination, mate. Uh, we'll talk now about career two, but just what, just last one last point on career one, if you like. Yeah. What do you remember about your last game? Um, oh right, yeah, my last game. So I was, my mine was Cass, Cass away, um, and I was coming back into the team. I had a, a back injury and a shoulder injury and hamstring injury. So me, so I was riddled with injuries anyway. But yeah, so I was like, right, okay, let's go, let's crack on here now, let's get into this. And I was happy that I was playing. Um, bit anxious, you know. Bit, uh, you know, I was very, very anxious. I'm never, I'm really um, an excited person when I'm playing. So. It was, um, yeah, it was very, very anxious. So it was cast away. Three minutes brought me like, done. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I've literally uh, made a tackle. I've tried to come around. I can't remember if it was Lynch. I can't remember. And my legs just planted and it's gone the other, literally the other way. But it was at the capsule, was at the top of the knee. So you couldn't operate on it and you just had to wait for it to heal. So I strapped it up. Went for a little run um, and Tony said, can you play? I said, well, I can run straight, but I can't move <laughs> laterally. Um, so that was me, done, mate, done. Um, yeah, told me I'd be out for about four months because you're just going to have this, this a weight-bearing um, injury. You're done, mate. And then I told, I did actually tell Tony um, probably 
a couple of weeks before that that I was retiring anyway. Um, so yeah, that was me. That was my career done, mate. So <laughs> talk about going out with a bang, blimey! <laughs> true story, mate. Yeah, true. yeah, broken leg three minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your first, I mean, talk about career number two, you'd, you'd negotiated this gradual transition. You'd been doing your training in close protection while you were finishing off as a professional, yeah. a rugby player. And then you took your first job. I mean, talk about going off the high board. Yeah. Um, sink or swim start to your new career. Your first job was, was to go to, to Iraq. Tell, tell us how, how that proposal arose and, and what was your thought process in saying yes? So my so I've always been interested in security. Even as a kid, I was I wanted to do close protection, but I was always told that you had to be ex-military, and it's only ex-military that does this uh, from jobs. And I was like, no, I'm not doing going in the military, not a chance. Um, and then I knew somebody uh, from Bradford that were really interested in the club, and we got to know them. Um, and he said, well, my my partner's in security this time. Why don't you have a chat with him? Uh, so I went down to Bradford, had a chat with him, this, that, and the other, and I said, mate, I'm retired. I've literally just told him I'm retiring. I've got my badge. I'm literally doing my medical qualifications in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, and he said, mate, 100%, 100%. And, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was a big decision. It was, <laughs> it was a big decision, but I knew from the, from the get-go that if I was going to go, go to a hostile environment and learn, not learn my trade, but, you know, be a part of another team, but in a, obviously in a different kind of aspect and a different kind of um, profession, then I needed to be at the top of the game, 100%. I needed to be in these hostile environments, knowing what these guys know, who are who were all ex-military. Um, and I was the only civilian on the contract. So again, it was for me to, to get there. Literally the same path that I went through rugby league is, is he good enough? Does he do this? Can he do that? And I trained every single day. I trained my body. I trained my mind. I trained, obviously, with, with the weapons, cross-decking, embossing, debussing, all these things that we actually do. Medical, I was always reading medical books. I was doing a cybersecurity course online. Um, so I knew, again, I had to prove to my clients that some of them was like, it's a civilian, mate. Like, what's he going to do? Um, and in within days, mate, they knew I was there for not just for money or anything like that. It was for, to make a career. Um, and they knew that from, I think they knew that within a couple of days, couple of weeks that I am, the, my mindset is completely for the job. Um, I want to get home safe. You know, I want my clients to get home safe. And they knew that. They knew I'd, I'd literally put my body on the line for that person. And that's exactly what I did for in rugby league. I know it's a different spectrum, but it was something that I've always wanted to do. Um, and... Yeah, again, it was just proving myself from that aspect and just going, no, I'm not just here for the like for the money or anything like that. I'm here for the experience and, um, you know, to, to do a job. If I get employed to do a job, I'll do it to the best of my ability and even more so. Um, so, yeah, that was it. It was a difficult uh, It was a difficult one for my family. It was easy for me. I said yes straight away, easy. Um, my family was like, what, what are you doing? Like kind of thing. So um, how were you able to say yes straight away when you'd basically taken a job and flying into somewhere in, in Baghdad, which I presume is where you flew into. Yeah. Uh, you could, you were do, you're going to do a job where you could have died. Yeah. Um, that I knew that every day. Days? Yeah. I knew that every day that could happen uh, and not like it happened or anything like that, but there was things that weren't that, you know, it was a very, very good contract. And, you know, one of my mates got killed over there and, you know, which was very, very difficult. Um, and, it is, mate. I, I I love to put my body on the line. I think I know this is it sounds really weird, but I, it's it, I I do. I actually enjoy the aspect of being a, a bodyguard, a close protection operative, uh, building a rapport with my clients, making sure that they're safe. But it got to the point because we're that well trained and that well drilled into what we actually do. That wasn't really the case majority of the time. So it was just the case of right, we'll get home safe you know, you'll get home safe, we get home safe. That's the best thing. What was going through your mind on that on that first flight into Baghdad? What, oh, yeah. What was going yeah. through your head? Well, we flew to our transition. So a lot of mine was from Manchester to, to, to Istanbul, then to Baghdad. So I had 10 hours in Baghdad to, to play with, uh, 10 hours in Istanbul to play with. So I had a couple of beers. I did have a couple of beers just to, to ease the mind a bit because I knew the next flight was going to be the one where I'm flying over in Iraq. I'm flying to Baghdad. Then I've got to wait in an airport for someone to come pick me up. 
And I'm just like, I've never been to this airport, don't know this area of orientation or anything like that. Um, and then I'm going to go to a villa, then I'm going to go to this, that, and that. I'm, 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 I don't know. Like, it just everything went through my mind, but exactly what actually went through my mind, my first ever game or something like that. Like, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if I can do this? Can I Can I make sure that this happens? Um, so it's that, it's draining, but it just, everything was just ticking in my mind. And as soon as I got there, I was fine. It was fine. Uh, at first, I was like, what am I doing? As soon as I got on that flight, I was like, ah, oh, nah, I've made the wrong decision. <laughs> but, um, but no, mate, I, as soon as I got there, as soon as I landed, as soon as I seen the guy that employed me to do my job, everything was fine. Got to the, got to, the more anxious I was, was that how the lads would accept me. Uh, obviously, being a civilian, um, I've not been in the military or anything like that. So they knew that didn't matter. As soon as they knew that I, how I was as a person, how my drills were, how you know determined I was as a person, that didn't matter to them, literally. And through the guys that actually say, mate, saying, can't believe you've got a job over other people that have not been in the industry, but after working with you, you're probably better than, well, not better, but you're up there with you know the people that, that, that should be on this job, definitely. And I had to prove that. Definitely. I didn't want to be a bit part person on these contracts where I was just going for the money. It wasn't about that. It was about two years, three years max experience to then come back to, to come back home, sacrifice again. That persevering sacrifice, home life, you know, girlfriends, this, that, and the other. Um, and then coming home and, and establishing myself in that way, mate. Um what was the what was the scene when you landed at the airport? It was hectic, mate. <laughs> because <laughs> I had to get a visa so my visa's all gone through then I have to fill all these forms in get the visa get me luggage wait in some area where the guys had come pick me up and I was just like I had no phone no phone because obviously it was a my phone wouldn't work over there so I had to get a, an Iraqi sim so I got that like literally four or five days after so luckily there was a guy that was on the same contractor that I was and he was a medic and he, I think he's been, he's been in Afghanistan, Iraq, all these hostile, a little bit of Africa as well. So he was a pretty, pretty calmer than I was. Uh, I wasn't like flapping or anything like that, but it was the point that this is, everybody's literally thinks this is normal, but it's not. It's literally something pretty less normal, to be fair. But yeah, by, by that first day, mate, I was fine. Well, I mean, literally my first ever mission um, was on my birthday. So... <laughs> The day after was my birthday, and we went to uh, a factory where ISIS took a stronghold on this uh, and did a, a massive belt of, uh, of IEDs. Um, and I was getting taught just little bits of what to look for, area orientation, things like that. And um, and some of the clients as well just saying what to find, and some of them saying, well, this is what you can find. You might not see it on the floor. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's very, very nice. Fantastic. Um, but, yeah, that day we, we lasted, what, um, we do about four to five hours on the ground. I went I went back and I slept for 16 hours straight. 16 hours. I was gone. Literally, my head was drained completely. Just dynamically assessing things uh, for the first time in that kind of environment and being around, you know, at local nationals and my new teammates. Everything was so draining. Driving, the driving V6s, armoured vehicles and... Um, obviously wanted to make a good impression. So I was nervous, 100%, more than so than obviously being out on the ground because I wanted to make a good impression. Um, but yeah, like 16 hours, mate, straight. I actually slept in my clothes till the next day, done, which was uh, which was weird, which was pretty weird. But from then, mate, it was, I was sailing. It was good. Um, I loved being a part of the, part of the team. Uh, I had jobs that I needed to do that I did them efficiently. Um, I thought I was a good operative, mate. I hope people <laughs> who actually do watch this are going, yeah, no, he, he was shit. But, you know, um, no, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the transition and going into Iraq straight away. Um, a lot of things, you know, ups and downs when I was there, but, you know, it's, it's a what different... Were those, what were the ups and what were the downs? So, you know, uh, promotions and things like that was really, really good. Um, being trusted to do certain things uh, within the team um, after two years and... Literally, one of my clients, uh, he was my client for probably like 18 months. Um, I was client, but he was, he was literally one of the one of my best mates over there. We went over to a place called Al-Assad, um, which is a massive compound um, for Americans, literally where all the, the military were. It's massive, absolutely ridiculous. I had a, I had a, a subway on there and everything, a sandwich shop. It was ridiculous. 
Um, and we were there for 18 months doing tasks and missions up there down uh, Anbar. Um, and yeah, so when I was on leave, uh, I got a message to say that he's been killed in an IED um, when he was um, obviously trying to detonate it. Um, and this is what we got. All of us got like a little memorial bracelet and stuff like that. So that was that was massive because I've never really experienced someone really that close to me that I spent every day with being killed um, just like that, like it was nothing. And that was difficult. It was. I, I didn't at the time. I was just like, right, okay, it's part of the job. It's this. It's this. It's this. Um, but no, it was it was a difficult. I just didn't know. I was at home as well, so I was on leave. I had four weeks on leave, so. Uh, one of my team, the team leader, messaged me saying Brandon, um, Brandon's been killed, and it was it was just like oh, fuck. I just didn't know how to to deal with it. Um, I was angry, I was upset, and you know, it was just I'm never going to see this guy again. You know what I mean? And it was it was difficult. Um, so that was probably the the worst, yeah, the worst thing that we actually went through. And then obviously we we have a lot of threats in that daily, uh, but they're fine. We deal with them every single day uh, when we were there. There are so many layers of grief in, in an event like like that, mm. uh, the shock and the loss of someone who became a very close friend to you, but hugely impactful on your own life. Yeah. And that it's the line of work that you're doing. And it yeah. must surely have made you question everything that you, you had been doing and, and we're going to yeah, do. Well, again, yeah, because it was it coming, not coming free or anything like that. We were, you know, Iraq were having problems with other countries, as you can imagine. Uh, so things were happening through there. Um, you know, we were locked down for God knows how we, for, for a little bit because we had a lot of indirect fire into camp and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, and, and one of my drivers got killed as well whilst I was over there. So, again, it was a local national. Um, and it did, it, 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 I, I loved the job. I actually love it. I'd go back tomorrow if I could, or if they asked me, 100%. Um, it was just time for something different. I only wanted to stay there for two, to, uh, two three years. Uh, Max just to gain experience and then come home uh, and then start me obviously executive side and TSEM and, and surveillance uh, because I've started from nothing um, from having no experience a couple of executive jobs whilst I was playing rugby league but if I could go to the to, you know to the heights of being a hostile environment then obviously not having ex-military on my CV well very very little military on my CV was was you know priceless massively it's, it's still priceless today People have been in the military and not, you know, been to Iraq this time. But I've actually been on the ground for two years. Um, so it's something that, again, it was that what we talk about all the time now is that sacrifice towards the to, towards your end goal. Um, and again, teaching. So even now, like if it was going to do the executive side, it'd be nice. But uh, you know, the 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 experience that I can I can get from being overseas and then being in these environments more. Um, was you know it's it's worth its weight in gold, hundred percent. What what kind of person landed back in in the UK two years later? Then I was different. I was definitely different. Um, it took me a while. I hated coming back to civilian life. If that sounds stupid, like I, I only spent a maximum of three weeks at home after doing two or oh, three or four weeks, and then did two months in Iraq. So I did that for two two and a bit years, and I hated the. <laughs> It's, I hated the first world uh, problems. I hated it. Uh, at first, I was home for longer than a couple of, like, four weeks. And it, I never thought I'd be like this. It wasn't like PTSD or anything like that. It was more to the fact that people complained about the most stupidest things. When <clears throat> people over in Iraq, we were giving them crates of water and they're the happiest people in the world. You know, people that we went to, to, to places, buildings that dilapidated beyond repair. I don't know how people were actually living in them. And we're, we're going around to communities and UNICEF and things like that and giving them creative waters. And they're the happiest people in the world. You know, they live, they've got a massive um, 50 caliber bullet in the, around in the house and they're not bothered. They're just literally going and people are worried now because like they can't go to Nando's during a pandemic. So that that really got to me a little bit. And it got to me, I was just like, I don't know what you're on about. Like you don't understand them. These guys in Iraq don't have a clue how we live, literally. Uh, we are the luckiest people on the planet. We have one of the best countries in the world um, that we live in. Um, so that annoyed me a little bit, but I was still the same person. I just thought, um, you know, I just didn't want to give up or not give up or anything, but just to maintain uh, a healthy lifestyle, 100%. And 
um, continue my, you know, continue my personal development and just to, you know, sacrifice. But if, you know, if, I don't know, it, I didn't change that much. It was just more the first world problems really annoyed me. Yeah, well, I think what you're saying is it, that that giant and very scary leap and transition that you took on has given you this deeper perspective on life and, and a perspective on life you wouldn't have had or you didn't yeah. have before you went. It's, it's yeah. changed your outlook. Doing yeah, yeah, Stepping out of your comfort zones changed your outlook. Yeah, 100%. Like, life experience, mate, 100%. Like, going to Iraq, Iraq gave me the biggest life experience I probably will ever have. Uh, going into a hostile environment where, you know, it, it was absolutely insane, absolutely insane. The things that you've seen and things like that are heard of and that will come in. Like, again, we were pretty safe most of the time, like 90% of the time, 100%. Like, it's we were pretty safe. And I'm saying we're in a hostile environment and these are collectively over a lot of time when we went through all this stuff. Um but it does, and that's why another reason why I went was that life experience straight away from rugby, from being in, from going to training at nine o'clock, finishing at one o'clock, and being at Costa till five was, you know, was my life. You know what I mean? And and I didn't complain about it. You know what I mean? It was nice. But from doing that, from obviously going into mission, going through Baghdad, this, that, and the other, or you know, a bit further north. Yeah, it was change. It was a, a bit of a massive change to go into a coffee shop on site or something like that, which was definitely different. Um, but I loved it, mate. Absolutely, I would never. There's things that obviously that, that I've heard and things like that, but um, my experience and the guys that I met over there, absolutely amazing clients as well. I don't like to call them clients because they were literally friends, but they were obviously the rock stars. They were the the maniacs who were trying to disarm these uh, IEDs. Um, but yeah, no, and I still speak to him today. And, and you know, I have on LinkedIn, Facebook, and we still message, still ring. I still see the guys as well. I mean, we'll be catching up very, very soon as well because it's, you know, it's two years nearly since we lost um, one of our colleagues. So uh, we'll be getting together and having a beer, you know, and, and things like that, mate. And I think it's it's, it's good that we, have, we can do that, definitely. And what about transferable skills? I've read a lot of your interviews about... Yeah this voyage and you, you you say oh there's there's lots of transferable skills between playing rugby and working in close yeah. protection in i think man, I, I say it all the time i actually say it to people that are trying to come on the course as well that are coming from the military or police or fire service or you know even a civilian job mate i think there's a lot within within close protection to obviously to to, to get to your end goal there's a lot of planning there's a lot of preparation that goes involved with it it's not just going out and standing next to someone for 12 hours or something like that. There's a lot of dynamic assessments that we need to go through, risk assessments, threat assessments, a lot of interpersonal skills as well, massively. Interpersonal skills is one of the biggest attributes you can have as a CPO. Uh, and I've said this to uh, people that I've taught, if you give people the time of day, they will give you the time of day back, 100%. Um, so you need to be, you know, good communication skills, which I, I think... Um, we do have as um, as rugby league players and planning. We prepare. Not one team is the same in Super League or in a Championship. So we we know their threats, we know their weaknesses, we know how we can expose these weaknesses, and we put a plan together. Um, and then we want to obviously get to the to the final end goal, which is the win. And that's basically what we do as CPOs. We plan and prepare movements of our clients, our principles, threat assessments on risks on buildings, route reconnaissance, this kind of thing. So we can go home safe and they can go home safe. And that's literally the, just a little bit of change. But it does. I remember, I think I remember, is it Jamie, Jamie Jones being canon saying, we don't, we, you know, we might not have uh, degrees in education, this, that, and the other. But what we do is we do have these skills that we've had since we were kids um, and ones that we probably have better than probably majority of you know people coming not who've not been in a sporting environment like you sacrifice perseverance determination interpersonal skills you can't get a degree for that you know what i mean and it's something that it's um, the, it's, it's the lived life experience it's 100 it's it's very similar you know when i when i do some of my work in mental health and and stand up and give mental health presentations i'm yeah. very aware that i'm not a doctor i'm not yeah i'm not a psychotherapist yeah but i can tell you aspects of my life yeah. that have been hard i can tell you what drove me to at times think about taking my own life i can give you yeah i can share those experiences 
yeah and a lot of time for those living something similar it's it's just as valuable a hundred percent mate I, I i totally agree with you i think you might be good on paper but you have the the, the knowledge and experience that we've gone through as, as players a hundred percent i think like I said before, you know, there's no degree in rugby league. You know, you don't get like a, a master's in rugby league. Um, but if there was, you know, I think people would be employed straight away because it does show determination. Just It shows a lot of attributes that we gain through. And we can actually, you know, the determination that guys go through, going through injuries as well, mate. Like people, you know, have had career for it and injuries, this, that, and the other. And to get up to go, right, I'm going to do rehab on my own for the next six months. That's fine. And get back to where we're going. Um, I know a lot of people give up. I know a lot of, not civilians or anything like that, but average, pe average people, I know it sounds bad, but people will give up. And I know a lot of people within, our, within, our, within the rugby league um, profession, they don't. We, don't, we just don't know how to. Um, and even when we want to, our head says give up and our bodies just won't. And that's something that I've had to, 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 to get a, a bit of a... Um, you know, a bit of a middle ground to go, right, okay, my body can do it, but my mind's not, so let's just cut it off now and then do something different. Just a, a couple of questions to, to finish with. I, yeah. I mentioned um, working in mental health. I talked to actually yeah. to a psychotherapist in the, in the last week or so and mentioned your story in this podcast project I'm doing. Uh, and he wondered whether your case study was a case of, of kind of grasping hold of transition rather than, than managing it. It was kind yeah. of like, Right there, there's an opportunity. Let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think I've gone for. I've always wanted to do this. I guess uh, insecurity. Um, I've I've gone straight into it. Hundred percent. I've literally leapt and and then and I'm still keeping hold of it. Um, so the point of grasping onto something, I've always wanted to do it. So I understand that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, it's something that I, I knew I'd be good at. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically. So, so the follow-up question, therefore, is what might stop us taking that leap? You, I mean, you say quite candidly, I took a leap, a leap of faith. That that was my that was my experience of transition. Anthony Malali again in his episode says it's it's attachment and and fear that yeah. that, that stop us making a big change, and that's that's why we don't all. Yeah. What, what do you think? I think it, this is, again, Mo's right, a hundred percent. And I think it's the lifestyle. The lifestyle changes. Your lifestyle does change quite a lot. Once you retire, uh, your lifestyle does change. Uh, it's scary. It's like, right, I'm not going to be on the same money that I've been on previous years, or um, you know, people are not going to recognise me. And I and, and I know a lot of people when they retire. You know, there's a lot of boxers out there that do exactly the same. I think Ricky Atten's a, a really good one to, to to give an example for. When when he retired or when he knew he was retiring, he, he, you know, he, he went to his mental health. You know, deteriorated. So I think it's it's something where yeah, I think it's just something that you just need to to just to grab hold of and just take take as much as you can out of it 100% take as much as you can out of rugby league and just or, or any profession uh, and when you're done just you know don't worry about it because it's you've still got another 60 years of working left hopefully yeah. not but um, you know it's, it's it's something that I'm proud of I'm massively to take this leap and even now sometimes my family go like why are you you know what you, you should have just kept going this that and the other and I'm just like well it's my it's my life at the end of the day. It's what I wanted to do. It's why I enjoy what I do now. And I, I'm thankful, thankful for, for clubs to give me or give me the opportunity. I'm thankful for Warrington massively. Um, so yeah, mate, that's it. Final point then. You've, I think the, the, the word you probably mentioned more than any over the course of, of this chat is, is sacrifice and everything you've sacrificed to get where you are today. When you look back and, uh, I guess the things you've sacrificed will be, I don't know, good times, nights out, holidays, you know, family time, whatever. Um, and I speak of someone who sacrificed a lot for, a, you know, for a career. When you look back on the sacrifices you've made and, and the experiences you've had instead, do, do you think it's all been worth it? Yeah, I'm 100 billion percent. 100 percent. I would never change anything that's ever happened from, from getting here, from getting from day one, 
to um, to where not even where I am now because I'm nowhere near where I want to be now either. Um, I still got goals. I still got uh, things that I want to achieve. But even like heartache and things with family or things with you know girlfriends, this that and the other or whatever has happened along the way, mold you into uh, the person that you need to be uh, if you want to be that person. And sometimes it doesn't happen on your own. Sometimes you do need help. You know, if you're injured with a hamstring, you don't go and run it off. You go to a physio. If there's something wrong with your, with, with your mental health, you go to go and see somebody. Simple. And and a hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. I would never change a single thing that's ever happened in my career or my career so far. Um, life, life goes on. Life moves. People go. People, you know, people die. This, that, and the other. And, I know it's a bit deep, but you know it is. It is. I've had two different, like you say, I've had one professional career and another that are completely different. So for me, going forward, there's not a single thing I would have changed. And I've, I've, you know, it's not been the most steadiest of career with injuries or private life and things like that. And like I've all, this is the the, the only thing that I've always said to people is if your private life is is okay, is doing well, your professional life will just go the way that you want it to go. Um, I think if you, your home life and you, the way that you go about things, you eat right, this, that, and the other, in your private life, your professional life will take care of itself. I've always been a massive attribute of that saying, uh, or massive, I've always said that to people, saying, you know, and there's times in my career where that's not happened, and then obviously your career doesn't go as well. So, yeah, the, again, um, not a thing, not a thing had changed, mate. I think it's time oh. to go because my cat's just come in. Oh, right. <laughs> it's going well. Where's my food? Wilfred wants feeding. So we'll leave it there. <laughs> um, I've loved chatting. You've been a great guest, Matty. Hey, amazing, mate. Not a problem at all. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, take good care and we'll see you next time.